Good Thursday evening. Welcome to another edition of the Sideline Junkies DC Sports Rundown. It's me, it's me, it's the big guy KG. Uh sitting in with the incomparable, the undefeated, uh sometimes white, right, <laughs> never wrong. Sometimes Midnight white. Ride. How you doing tonight, man? Good, man. <laughs> uh there's opening well, salvos just- and then there's what we get now. Well, I, I'm guessing we just might as well go ahead and get into it and say the hell with it. F it. Breaking news that came out a little over an hour ago. Uh, Patrick Ewan is out at uh, Georgetown, so he will no longer coach up on the hill. Uh, some say, hey, we've seen it coming. Others like myself, I believe he didn't get enough time, you know, with everything he had to deal with, but I'm gonna give the floor to the Midnight Rider. No, 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 no. No, mm-hmm. nah, I want you to go first because if you no, go no, first, no, 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 because this is you. <laughs> this is not. Yeah, this it's, is me. If this was a Nats rant, you let me go first. So I'm of gonna course. let you go ahead because you have. This is more your. See, I'm gonna be more cerebral. You're gonna be more emotional. So I'm gonna let the emotions go. <laughs> I'm go ahead, let it out, man. It's like a uh, good fart. Gotta let it out. It's better out than in. Here's my thing, and this is what I'm gonna say. I'm 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 trying to get my stats and stuff together, but on the surface, for Patrick Ewing, I think this was too early. But we had this conversation on air, and we had a lot of feedback, and there were a lot of uh articles. Uh, your cousin. He, he sent out an article. He put an article up and we talked about it. And I understood where everybody was coming from, especially, you know, diehard uh, Georgetown fans. I understand where they're coming from. I'm a diehard fan myself. It's just, here's my thing. At Georgetown, he started in 2017, 2018, under, with the blessing of um, Big John Thompson, JT3 uh, and the Thompson family of taking this job because JT3 was already was uh, already released to, uh, from his position, which I said, you know, hey, I didn't think he should have been released from his position. In 2017, 2018, and I didn't realize this was year five, man. I'm sorry, year six. Um, 15 and 15, 5 and 13 in the Big East, uh, 2018, 19, 19 and 14, uh, made it to the NIT that year, 99 in the Big East. 2019-2020, which was a COVID year. Um, 15 and 17. Uh, 2021, 13 and 13, 7 and 9. Uh, won the Big East that year. Uh, lost in the first round. 6 and 25 last season. 0 and 19 in the Big East. Uh, this year, 7 and 25. Two and eighteen in the Big East, and relieved of his duties after last night's loss to Villanova. Um, personally, I still think this was too soon, too early. Uh, due to what he had to deal with, coming in and trying to restore a program to its former glory, and these are the things you expect. When you have someone that is so decorated 
someone that is family taking over full family and something you say was they need georgetown needs to get away from the tree of big john and unfortunately his roots run so deep unless you go get patino or shaka smart or somebody of that nature you're never going to get away from that up on the hill I believe it was a 2019-2020 season. Matt McClung uh, and two other players, two two other three players that were top players for this team were dismissed from the team. Okay, Georgetown suffered because of that, and they never really recovered. Yeah, they won the the Big East tournament in 2020-2021, but the age of COVID also messed up a lot. Um, Pat's recruiting classes were not. I don't even think they were two star recruiting classes. Something had to change. And he never had the talent. He never had that one player that every Georgetown coach has. Every season you have that one player, whether it's a John Wallace, a uh, Kevin Braswell, a Allen Iverson, or you have a duo where you have Allen Iverson, Victor Page, you have the Twin Towers and Alonzo Mourning and, 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 and Dikembe Mutombo. You have a team that's put together and constructed to win. And it's like they never had that guy up on the hill. And it sounds like I'm making excuses, but I'm a little emotional right now. So excuse me if I'm making excuses, but damn it, I can do that. I can do that because I'm emotional right now. Big fan of Patrick Ewan. And I always said that it, it was overdue for him to get a, head job maybe that's the wrong terminology um a head coaching job better word use yes so no i'm not happy about it i understand it but understanding and being happy are two different things i understand why he was fired i understand what i don't want to say fired I want to say let go. I understand it. They parted ways. And I think it was mutual. And it does not change. I think the parting ways was, it was a soft blow. It was a a soft landing spot. It's like when you, when somebody is going, you know, somebody's going to break up with you and you try to stop them and say, you try to break up with them first. That's how, that's exactly what that was. <laughs> the pre-breakup stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I hear you on all this, but I just don't see the hope. I mean, you said it's not enough time, but he had six years. Um, there yeah. are other coaches in this process that's gone through COVID and gone through everything. Um, but as I look at them going forward, I just don't see where the building block is that's going to make this um, – better or make it continue on any kind of a path that is good. Um, they're two and 37 in the, in the big East, the last two years, they're 13 and 50. The last two seasons, they were 13 and 13 and lucked into a, um, a big East title run. And I'm going to say lucked in because you wouldn't have thought that team was going to win that they, they got there, they got hot, they played. But then when you follow up with six and 25 or, seven and 25 you're not built that you're not going the right direction and i understand that things happen but as a coach you gotta you gotta overcome them 
And the bad thing, I feel bad because I feel like this, to some extent, almost ends Patrick Ewan's career as a college coach for sure. Um, as a basketball NBA coach, he may get a chance somewhere, but he's going to be far down on the chairs. He's not going to be a first-tier or second-tier assistant. He's going to be a third or fourth guy um, that might even be in the second row. But he's not going to be – so So this this move was a gamble, and I, unfortunately it was one of the gambles he had to take. It's almost it's almost similar to Eric Bieniemy's situation where in order for Pat to get a head coaching job, this had to be the job for him. Unfortunately, COVID happened. Unfortunately, you know, recruits got kicked out, and it just hasn't recovered. And from that standpoint, you just you can't keep keep peeing down the well and hoping the water's good. Like you just can't do it. And, and that's what we're doing. We're not. We don't have a building block. I don't see like if I could if I walked away this year and and I, I saw two or three players and I'm like, all right, these kids you can build on. But I don't think you can because I think you have to change the whole culture. Change you have to shock the system to get this to be a little bit better. Because I saw a team that during certain stretches they either very selfish, they turn over, turn over happy, and I don't even know what the hell Wahab did, but but take up space, and and that's the sad thing, um, is I think the players let um, Pat down at times because they just didn't execute for him in the big moments. I don't and think. I, go ahead. I, don't, I was going to say I agree with you. Yeah, and impartially, I almost I I know it's not a bad it's a bad coaching job, unfortunately, because of the record, the numbers don't lie. You know, if it was any other way, you know, I would I could have some kind of um, recourse or some kind of uh, empathy for this. But I don't because they have to go somewhere else. And I think it was tough spot for him to be in because it was a job he had to take. I don't think Georgetown was ready to to do anybody go anywhere else um, six years ago when he got the job. So this was his chance. And I think John felt like it was almost his duty. To get if if John wouldn't get Pat a chance, who was going to get Pat a head coach job? And I think that's where we got to in that situation. Um, and and I think unfortunately some of Ewan's old school mentality doesn't doesn't go over with these kids. And then you got to think about this is a generation of kids that have no idea who Patrick Ewan is, but as a professional, as a as a college player or as a professional player, he's not on their he's not on their map. I mean, they can YouTube the games, but he's just not on their map. I'm going to say this. One of the reasons that this makes me sad, this move makes me sad, because what you said they needed to do was about to happen. You said they needed to go away from the tree of Thompson. That's about to happen. And my fear with that is, even though I know it's not even possible to ever erase what big john did up on the hill i just feel like they're going to erase him from georgetown when you think of georgetown you think of john thompson you think of that white towel you think of 610 walking the sidelines that's what you think of and i i swear if they if they this tree of of thompson is the roots and everything are eradicated i just feels like it's going to tear down everything that he built and it's going to go in a different direction than some other coach comes and let's say they do win a national championship well you gotta get you're getting too far ahead of yourself well yeah i am but i mean this no 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 and i appreciate the overthinking but i think 
you will never, and this is the beauty of time, is you'll never get be able to erase Big Sean from the lexicon of Georgetown basketball is because this brand became a national brand during that time period. We're not talking about a brand that was just local. We're not talking about, yeah, this is the best team in the area. No, this was a team that nationally, when I mean nationally, I mean from the east to the west coast, you saw Georgetown Hoya paraphernalia. You had Hoya paranoia. So there's that tree's just going to sit a little further in the distance maybe, but that tree ain't never going nowhere. You're going to always be able to look in the backyard and see that tree. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but see, here's the thing. How often are we going to be able to sit under that tree? It's now, me, me personally, I sit under that tree every day. <laughs> because I, I got you. That's, that's, that's it. But but you got to get this. You got to give this program an opportunity to spread its wings. You know what I'm saying? I think John has, I think that branch, that tree has taken it as far as you can take it. And then at a certain point, you just got to get somebody new in just, just to give it a, a freshen up. You got to, it's just like going away from Gary. You went away from Gary to Turgeon. Yeah. And, and, and Turgeon probably had, he had a better stress than Pat, but he had a six year stretch where his bad luck was the year he had the best team in the Big Ten. COVID happened, and they don't even get a chance to play that tournament. So now, two years later, he's fired because of the results from the last two years, not because, unfortunately, COVID happened and took away his best team. Like, everybody got a, a lot of coaches got a raw deal out of this stretch of basketball. That's true. And the problem is, we're and, and we're probably going to talk about it next, but some of the, the older programs are in a space where they don't have an identity anymore. The, yeah, the, because the soul, the, soul the, 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 the history is that it's the history. And think about this. And I, we are going to talk about that next. But think about when you think of Georgetown basketball, Big East basketball, you, you, you got it. Big East basketball had a certain style. ACC had a certain style. Uh, Big Ten had a certain style. Um. West Coast Conference out West had a certain style. Pac-10, or at that time, Pac-8 had a certain style. Everybody played a certain style of ball. And none of the conferences have an identity anymore. Now, I mean, the ACC, it was, you know, fundamentals. That was the big conference on the East Coast. That's where your Dukes and your North Carolinas, your NC States, your Maryland's, you know, Big East was, you know, power forward center use. You know, that's where your big men came from. You had a couple guards come through, of course, but you had a lot of centers come through the Big East because you had to have centers to match up with the big guys. It's like, even if Patrick Ewan did have that one player, his forte is development of big men because look at what he did with Yao Ming when he was uh, assistant coach in Houston. He also had, he had Yao Ming, Dikembe Mutombo and somebody else. It was another big man. It was three of them because they used to go out and eat all the time. And Pat would just sit there and, and, and school him. But think about what he did with developing big men in the NBA. When he worked with Dwight Howard. You can't do that in college anymore. His coaching style is not, I don't think it's, it's built for college. You know, because he's... Mm-hmm. You just what, you, you just confessed. You just it, confessed the sins right there. That's because the, he, it's grown men ball. He he likes he plays grown man ball. 
and these dudes are, are big men, but they don't want to play. They don't want to. Pe- they what, What's the what's the term Morgan used to use? My, shout out to Morgan Tad for this one. Um, um, I think Kenny Smith used to use. It. He used to say it all the time. You got little big men and big little men, and we're in the era of big little men. Dudes are six nine, six ten, six eleven, seven foot, and they're in college and they're stretch fours, stretch fives. Nobody plays uh down the block. You don't combine inside and outside. When you bring the ball up, you don't work the ball inside, then work it back outside. Everything's around the perimeter. Nobody plays that 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 nineties brand of basketball anymore. And I, that's why I say I don't think his his coaching style is suited for college. He made you, you just said the reason why today's move had to happen. Is his game he his game has shown his style has shown that it doesn't work uh on this level. So you have to sometimes um, cut off the root so you can grow something new. And that's this situation. You have to cut something in order for something to grow. Before we move on to the next topic, before I get too emotional, if Josh was 6'11 and Pat was still a dag on uh, uh, Georgetown, you sending him to go get coached up by Pat? No. Because you know he can handle that type of coaching? No. See, I'm biased on this. My man is Izzo. So if Josh had any inkling of playing basketball, you go on to Tom. If I have a say in it. I mean, but, but it's his decision. So, but yeah, we be going to Tom, Michigan State. You know what I'm saying? And I'd be sitting there trying not to every time I meet Tom, you know, I'm picking his brain. So it wouldn't be a Georgetown thing. That's nothing against Pat. It's just that's my guy. That's I get it. I get it. You know, when, when I draw like I literally there's two coaches that whenever I used to go to try to find plays, I'd look for. One was um, Tom, and the other one's Bo Ryan. Because Bo Ryan's flex offense at Wisconsin is a thing of beauty. Um, and that's and it's funny you said Styles, because in, in those in those eras in the 90s and the 80s, it was the beauty of Styles making fights, where you had a team like uh, Illinois um, in the 80s, I mean, in the 90s, playing against Ohio State with Thunderbird and Jim Jackson, and then you got them playing against Michigan with Jalen and company. You know that conference is that conference is very underrated in that time mm-hmm. period where they had three or four teams that could go. You know, you think about the eighties when the Georgia when the Big East in what eighty three had three of the four Final Four teams: Villanova, St. John's, and Georgetown. So, so these these teams and these conferences had identities. Unfortunately, because of money. Money has stolen the identity of these conferences, so you don't have the same a traditional rivalries, and then b you lose some of the sting of just having a thing where you there's this pure hatred for the team across the court. Now it's just it's a business decision. Speaking of money, we're gonna move on to the next topic because I don't want to cry. Um, but this one we got to step outside of DC for a second for this one, Jim Beheim. We were talking about ACC. I'm sorry. We were talking about Big East proper. The Big East that we grew up with, not this money-hungry thing that destroyed rivalries. But Jim Beheim, coach of the Syracuse Orangemen. I'm sorry. Syracuse Orange is not Orange Men anymore. It's like St. John's, not the Red Men anymore. The Red Yeah. It's, if, I remember one time it was the St. John's Red 
then St. John's Redstone. It's it's been so many different things. I've always known him as the St. John's Redman. But anyway, uh, he retires after forty seven years. Um, one thing. Oh, don't, don't I know? Don't get choked up. I understand. Um, <laughs> 1,015 1, wins, 440 losses uh, in the conference between ACC and Big East, um, 432 and 275. Uh, he has what? How many national championships? He got one? Two. Two? Um, damn, I, of course, the daggone thing wants to. I, I know he's got one with Carmelo, and he should have one in the with like the team that beat Indiana with the shot from um no they maybe they lost Indiana that year. Yeah, he got one. He got one. Um, you would have thought Derek Coleman and company would have won one. Yeah, but that's the year yeah. that that Smart hits that shot on the wing for Indiana. I think I gotta look that up. But where's my where's my phone? Mm-hmm. Go and ahead. He, he he had three years in as a uh, NCAA Division One independent from seventy six to seventy nine, and he didn't lose double digit games. He didn't lose have a season where he lost double digit games until eighty eighty one. And you know NCAA Big Dance was di- different. Um, but Sweet Sixteen, round of thirty two, Sweet Sixteen, Sweet Sixteen, NIT runner up. Round of 32, round of 32, sweet 16, round of 32, round of 32, division one runner runner up. That was 86, 87. They lost the championship. Um, round of 32 the following year. Elite eight, sweet 16. First round exit in uh 9091. Um uh, round of uh, 32, and they were ineligible in 92, 93. Um, sweet 16, round of 32, runner up, lost in uh 95-96 in the uh championship. Round uh NIT round of 64 and 96 97. Sweet 16, round of 64. Sweet 16, round of 32. Fourth place in NIT. And this is all in order now. Uh won the championship in 2002, 2003. Uh Sweet 16. Round of 64. Round of 64. Uh NIT quarterfinal two years in a row. Sweet 16. Sweet 16. Jim Beheim is no doubt in my mind a Hall of Famer. Okay. Uh but I'm going to ask a tough question. What's the best player he coached? Carmelo Anthony. No. Hell no. One year, he won, He gets him his only national championship. He carries that team. You look at that team. You you name me anybody else on that team. Jerry McNamara. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, sorry. So he's a better one. Because I'm sitting here because the whole time you, you've been saying this. And I know part of the reason you, you won't give it to Carmelo is because he did it one year and then he was gone. Um, and he wasn't a three-year or four-year star. So then if you had to make your starting father Syracuse, point guard, who's your point guard? Sherman Douglas. Pearl Washington. Who's your two guard? Well, I was going to put Pearl in the two. You can't. He's a point guard. I know he's a point guard. I was gonna play him out of position. I didn't say he was nah, gonna Come on, two guard. Uh two guard. Jeez. I can't think of a two guard that came out of there that I really like. All right, I'm gonna go I, with Lawrence Bolton. Okay. Three men. Three is, that's Carmelo. Carmelo. Okay. Four. 
Derek Coleman. Derek Coleman. And then five is the easiest. Who's five? Cycling. Eton Thomas. Oh, come on. <laughs> uh, uh, we didn't say the most woke. He said. What's the boy that, uh, uh, what's, uh, did he, he went to Syracuse. What was his name? Jelani McGee? What's that? McCoy? Jelani McCoy. <laughs> no, nah, he went to UCLA. He went to UCLA? Yeah, why do I, why yeah, do I you mellow? Fat Mello, another another great player that played really well. And they rest in peace, Fab. Um, not to mention you had John Wallace. Yeah, John. Turkey so like, John Wallace. So, so, the, so the so the next group would be like Billy Owens, mm-hmm. um, Stevie Thompson, Billy um, I What's hated Billy Owens. Boy, I, I Billy swear Owens. God, I hated Billy Owens. He used to light Georgetown up in the night. I, I, I hated him in college. Man. I hated him in college, but the second he went pro, because he plays like number 32 in the purple and gold, I was a big, I was big Billy O. Professional. I didn't like him at Syracuse, but the professional Billy O is my guy. What and about he, just didn't, he just didn't do it. Then you got the kid just taking over for um Bayham. I mean, that's gonna be interesting with Adrian Autry taking over. Mm-hmm. But see, I think Bayham probably stayed two years too long. I think once that oh, well, here we go. I think that incident on the highway should have been his his exit. They should have just let him walk away and not not have that fest over the program. And then also he really wasn't doing well then. Because I think at that time, I think his son was on the team. And I think they kind of – they got lucky. And they didn't get lucky. But they played well enough to get in the tournament. I think mm-hmm. the one treasure and the thing that makes Bayham easily um, one of the best coaches in college basketball history is the fact that he played the 2-3 zone from the day he got there. Didn't change it. And it, 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 it terrorized teams. It gave teams heart problems. And he's done that for the longest. My kid would never play for him, but that off that defense, and a lot of times I, I won't lie to you. I, we played a lot of two three where I places I coached that because <clears throat> if we had the height and the length, we would go with that because you can crowd passing lanes and you can make teams slow down. But you're not as talented as somebody else. You can slow them down by playing the two three and making them earn baskets and making them be play basketball from a smart standpoint. And not from an athletic standpoint. Standard a two-one-two, but uh, or the two-two-one press. You know, more 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 fan of that and four corners on offense. Born basketball, baby John. Sure, baby John. (laughs) Born basketball, but I guarantee you, make the right pass, make the damn play. Uh, hey Thomas, how you doing, man? Uh, he says Lawrence Moten. Here we go, baby. Curl High School. And what would the Hoyas do at coaching, man? <laughs> so, so that, for the that Hoyas, was first segment, I, I was I was about to cry in here. So I think Hoyas' coaching search goes the dude at Providence. Um, I can't think of his name right now, but he's been at Providence for a couple of years. He may have played out his welcome there. I don't see them going for Patino um, just because Georgetown doesn't have enough Italian restaurants with back rooms for that to work out. 
Um, Are you talking about Ed think, Cooley? Who? Ed Cooley. Is that the guy from NC State? Uh, let me see. Is he from NC State? Is he your current? There's Ed a coach at NC State that is an up-and-comer. They've talked about – I've heard people mention Jeff Capel. But I think for Capel, Capel would probably want to go – he's going to want a more established program um, than, than, than what Georgetown has. Georgetown is kind of starting from the roots. And I think, honestly, you got to find a young how to – there's a young how to system that's kind of on the verge. You either got to go with him or you got to go with a young guy on a lower level that's making moves. And – which cable Jeff Cable is that the that's North Carolina Cable or is that no 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 that's oh that's that's Duke Oklahoma Cable okay that's what's the other cable because that's his I think that's Jason okay because I always get them confused which one is which because I used to have a you can't get that confused one made a smart business smart decision going to school he went to North Carolina the other one went to Duke here we go I get that confused because I used to have Whichever the one that went to Carolina, that's Jason. Right. I had a picture of him for uh he was on the cover of um Sports Illustrated. And I had that cover hanging on my wall for a little while. Because you're a Cloudy Carolina fan. I am not. And it's about that time of year. We're going on 30 years, so we can say what we want. And Thomas agrees with you. He said agreed. And that's what I think they're gonna do. But I heard Patino. Um, I think Patino's the the pipe. It's not a pipe dream. I think Patino is just something that they have to say. Um, but I think the alum, from a money standpoint and from a business decision standpoint, I think they just need to try to invest in somebody. Actually, to be honest with you, not to be a, it's, I wouldn't be a homo with this, but I like the the coach of George Mason. Hmm. I think I mean I think he's got them in a place, and then he's going to lose his point guard this year. So if he wants to try to step up, and they they can step him up to the next level, I think he would be a good person at Georgetown. He's a young up and coming coach. You know, the other name I heard was Mike Bray, but I think I Mike Bray would be too much like um, Pat because he's a little more old school, and I don't know if these kids are going to um, react to him. And. I'm not gonna get into that because that's I, I'm, I'm gonna dust my soapbox off and get into that soon. But I'm not gonna get into that uh, that old school coaching. So, um, so let's uh come back home, take a trip up to College Park. The Maryland Turks men's basketball team face off against Minnesota tonight at 9 p.m. Uh, honest opinion. I think I think Minnesota should be here. Minnesota's playing with house money, but I think I think Maryland should win this ball game. I think Maryland has a chance to make it to the Big Ten final. To be very honest, um, their only problem is they don't play as the same team when they're on the road as they do when they're at home. So then that makes a question of how good a how good is this team. And B, can this team do it on a neutral site? Can they yeah, go somewhere neutral and win a ball game? And that's going to be their biggest question. That's going to be hard for them to do. I don't even think it's going to – I think Maryland should win this by double. 
I think Maryland should win by 10. I think if Maryland comes out and plays, Maryland should beat Minnesota by 10. Because Minnesota played a game last night that they shouldn't have won. Now, you're going to get one or two sides. They're going to probably come out in the first half, guns blazing and living off the momentum from yesterday. And the thing Maryland's going to have to do is withstand the storm. As long as they can withstand that storm, I think, and they make it a two-half game, I think Minnesota runs out of gas. And they'll pull away from them right around the seven-minute mark. Because Maryland's scrappy enough that they're going to make it difficult, but they just got to withstand the storm. Okay. I think Maryland should win this game, and I agree with Thomas. It will be a great game tonight. Um, Maryland's 20-11. and 11. I think they are 11-9 and nine in the Big Ten. Uh, mm-hmm. Minnesota's 9-21. and 21. Uh, However, that, that says something about Maryland when it comes down to the big dance. If they are pretty much 9-2 and two against non-conference opponents, they don't play nobody in the Big Ten. I, I, I mean, I, I got them going really, really far in not only the, 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 the Big Ten tournament. I got them going far in the Big Ten tournament anyway, but in – the NCAA tournament, I got them going. The ceiling, maybe what it normally, what it used to be under Gary, and the ceiling was always Sweet Sixteen, because they would always get to Sweet Sixteen and then lose. But I think ceiling for this team, Sweet Sixteen. So I, I must, I'm gonna be devil's advocate. I think the bracket is gonna matter for them. Um, it depends on what number they get. Only because in the Big Ten, you play a certain style of basketball. You're more um, – you're grinding out every possession. And I think if they get a, the wrong team that's a little more up-tempo, a little more athletic across the board, um, a team that can extend them and make them vulnerable in offense and speed them up, then they become – it becomes a problem for Maryland. So I'm going to be real curious as the matchups come out before I, I, I give them a ceiling and a floor. Understand, understand. Not even I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mess you about that. Uh oh. No, go ahead. Um, Thomas says just want to see someone from the area do good in college basketball in the NBA. That's that, look. I'm not even a Wizards fan, but I pull for the Wizards when they're not playing my Bulls. And I would I love to see the Wizards do good. I love to see the Nets do good. Keep that Bulls comment um pinned up for a last segment because I got questions to ask. Okay. No, I don't like Patrick Beverly still. No, not even that. It's not about that. <laughs> so I'm going to get your commentary, you know, because this is a – we like to inform the people here. So okay. I like to get some information, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, Moving up the – well, not even up the beltway. We're moving up 295 a little bit, going into Baltimore. Is the NFL colluding against Lamar Jackson? Because how is it that – Daniel Jones gets four years, 160, 82 guaranteed. Agent. Lamar's on, on huh? Agent. Mm? Well, keep going, keep going. Lamar Jackson's on a non-exclusive uh, franchise tag. Agent. Uh, however, Lamar Jackson, his numbers are way better than Daniel Jones. His talent mm-hmm. level and his ceiling is way better than Daniel Jones. 
But however, so many teams came out when he was hit with that non-exclusive uh, tag and said, oh, we're not going to go after him. We're not going to sign him. And the crazy part is, why would you even come out and say that? If you, Why are you showing your hand? That's number one. Number two, if this was Aaron Rodgers that's on a non-exclusive tag. KG, KG, KG. You're not doing this. You're better than this. You are the sports extraordinaire. Is that what it is? Uh, on, on, on Twitter? It's a, a connoisseur extraordinaire. Okay, so you're the sports connoisseur extraordinaire. And you're, 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 you're falling. For, you're doing this? But I'm, this, this, is a, this is beneath you, man. But I'm throwing out what I know. All right, no, 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 no. Okay. Let's go. Let's go. So these eight okay. teams that came out. Hold on. Now, let me tell you why I think this is collusion. Because I sent the video of Emmitt Smith talking about after the 92 season. He won the Super Bowl. Contract was up. He was like, I'm done. He called Miami. Called Don Shula on the phone. The great Don Shula. And said, hey, I'm willing to come back down and play with y'all. I want to play with you and Dan. Don Shula said, oh, no, I can't do that. What you mean you can't do that? No, nah, I can't do that. You know, I, if I give you this and it doesn't work out and they match it, you know, I got I got to pay the other guys and I got to explain to them why I don't believe in them. Bullshit. No, it's not bullshit. Dan Marino never had a, a running back his whole entire career. If he had a running back, he would have at least a Super Bowl under his belt. Okay? Facts. Facts. You see what it did for John Elway. That's number one. Number two, why would you, a, a running back in his prime, who went on to become the leading rusher all time in NFL history. You can't tell me that Jerry Jones didn't put something out there. Nah, y'all not signing him. And I'm going to get a deal done. He still held out in that the beginning of that 93 season. However, you can't tell me something wasn't put out to say, hey, don't do it. We've seen these type of backdoor deals happen in the NFL over things. The year that it was the uncapped year. The 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 the, right. the the Giants and oh well, Washington went and you can't, and you can't, you can't cut players and all that. I, I, yeah, I'm yeah, that, and we signed Alba Hainsworth to a hundred million dollar contract. But oh well, y'all wasn't supposed to do that. It was a gentleman's agreement. Well, so I the agreement was in that it's year. The agreement in that year was you weren't going to cut players, so that way you wouldn't get the the salary cap, the freedom of. The, the free cap. That's what that was. It wasn't about signing people. It was you couldn't go and say, all right, I'm cutting this guy because there's no cap penalty involved if I cut this guy now because I signed him to a bad contract. Now tell me so that's that not the that scenario. But that's a gentleman's agreement. Nothing was on the books. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's collusion. So, see, see, so, so that is. But here's the difference because I think what Jimmy was telling Emmett is no matter what I sign you to, Dallas is going to match it. Yeah, so he said there's a difference in that. What's the difference in make an offer that they cannot match? I'm going to come home. But but you don't see, see, I think you're giving you're giving some credit that doesn't deserve to be had. Like I think in this scenario, what's going what will happen is that the the Miami Dolphins will give their best offer. And they will go above and beyond, and they probably tell people on their team that, "Hey, this is this is only where we're willing to go." But now you gotta go above and beyond that because you're trying to get Emmett. And now when Dallas matches it, now you turn around looking back at people, 
and trying to figure out what the scenario is, what the situation is. And the same thing, hold on, because I'm about to bring this full circle because it's a boomerang. So it's going to come back around. So those eight teams, if you look at the names of those eight teams that said they are out on this um, on this thing for, for Lamar Jackson, most of those teams either have young quarterbacks that are that are either they're trying to make their starter or their QB ones for going forward. So if that's the case, they're not going to put out there that they're going after Lamar Jackson because they don't. Because if you pay attention to last year, when the Colts, I mean, I'm sorry, when the Falcons said they were going after Deshaun Watson, they had to end up trading Matt Ryan. So in that scenario, you don't want to and you don't want to upset the apple cart with your with your actions. You want to keep it behind closed doors. So it's so it's no reason because I mean think about it. If Washington wanted to, they could make a move. They just don't want to say it in front of Sam Howell right away. Because they're saying, oh, he's the starter for now, as long as he does the right things. Okay. So there's no reason to do this with any kind of haste. And they can live behind the facade. Because maybe if something comes out and you hear through the vines that maybe you can get Lamar for three, he get the Kirk Cousins deal. The three years, 155 guaranteed or 160 guaranteed. That way he gets his 50 million. Then then you're good. I think right now this is all posturing. And I think it's partial on both sides. But I think the only problem is, and I kept saying when you were talking, is because Lamar doesn't have an agent, the team, the league's gonna be a little more brash and saying what they won't do because they're not burning any bridges. See, if Lamar was represented by Lee Steinberg or somebody like that, nobody's going to come out and say we don't want to pay him or we don't want to do business with him because you got all these other um, guys that are under Steinberg, and you probably got a couple on your roster. So you're not upsetting that, that person. In this scenario, this guy's represented by his mama and him. And that's the only, as far as I know, that's the only people that his mama and them got on their, on their um, sports agency. So, so it's no, there's no cause to them saying that we're out because they're not upsetting anybody that has any resources that's going to hurt them in the long run. This is a short term thing. So there's no reason to even engage him and be like, oh yeah, you know, you don't have to put that loud there. You don't have to be quiet because there's, you're not upsetting an agent. What he should have done is either gotten... Because the other part of this problem is he has the um, union on his side. And the union has drained his value in this situation. Because this negotiation has been going on for two years. So when you're so they've given you their best offer. They've probably even given you a good offer where it's 165 guaranteed. But for some reason, you have this notion in your head that you want the Deshaun um, Watson contract. They're not going there. And that's what this is where the collusion part kind of comes in because nobody in the league is going to try to put the next deal and work off of the Sean Watson deal because that puts you in hell. Like, because now if you look at it, I think the Sean Watson's cap number is like 54.9 million each of the next whatever the term of the deal is. If it's five years, the next five years, his cap number is 54.9. You can't talk about restructuring. You can't restructure that because it's guaranteed. You can't restructure a guarantee, a real guarantee. You can restructure a fake guarantee like a roster bonus, <laughs> but you can't restructure guaranteed money. That's their wiggle room. 
That's why a team is not willing to give up that wiggle room. Now, the thing that the Ravens – see, I almost feel bad for Lamar because he's going to be in one or two spots. He's either going to get the money he wants – not the money he wants. He's going to get a deal, but he's going to have to take the deal because it's not going to be what he wants. But it's going to be more than him getting $32.9 million. That's the decision he has to make. He has to find a number out there that's going to make him happy even if he doesn't get the guarantees that he wants. And Thomas says, yes, I'm so glad you brought this up. B-more wants the team to give the contract, and then B-more wants to match whatever the team offers. Exactly. And it, it'll set the table says, if you do that. Because we sell it, what they're telling him is, you think you have this market, show me. Yeah. Basically, yeah. uh, if you think you got it, you know, set, yeah. let, let, let them set the table. This right. is what they say you're worth. I don't have to pay you what, you're, what I'm paying you. Basically, right. what uh, Washington did to Mason Foster a few years ago. Oh, you think you got worth? Go out there and see what you can get. Yeah. And it was way, it was substantially less than what he, what they were offering. Um, now, Thomas makes a great point, but here's the problem: you have the the ownership window because hopping into that that fray means you had to put some money in escrow. Yes. So that becomes the issue with Washington jumping into the circus. Now, maybe there's some wink-wink handshake deals in the back. And because maybe, let's say Roger knows that, you know, we're selling to Josh Harris and the guy um, that just came out today, I think it's Regal with um, the Nasser or Dan Hauser um, group uh, as his new, I mean, Regal as his, as his partner in this, in this deal. Maybe we, if we know that's in place, and that's and this guy got added just so we could shore up his bid, and that's who we're gonna go with. Then that becomes all right. So what do we? What can we do? You know what I'm saying? You get a little weak wink, nod nod, and we know we can go get Lamar now because we got ownership, some form of ownership in place, and this is who we're gonna go with for this bid. But if that doesn't happen, then I mean they're still whistling the wind. I mean they're still recovering because truth be told, everybody cries about. Brad Johnson getting away from this franchise. The quarterback that got away from this franchise is Trent Green. Trent Green was would have been the quarterback of the future in 90, what was that, 98 when the team got sold? Maybe 99? 99. Yeah, so when the team got sold, Trent Green should have been the quarterback of the future. They should have invested in him. But the problem was ownership wasn't in place, and ownership didn't get in place until the summer. So you That's they missed out on a window of him. Because if you sign him, there's no need to go get Brad Johnson and there's no need for you to go get Jeff George. You got a solid quarterback who, outside the year, he tore his knee up. And you got to think about it. He's probably not tearing that knee up um, in that 99 season because he's on grass and he's in Washington and he's not playing against New England and Rodney Harrison. But like that's that might be one of the bigger what ifs. When Come we get on. to what ifs, that might Come be a bigger what if than a lot of things that we want to talk about. Well, Brad Johnson left in 99 as well because Brad Johnson was here in 98. He was here in 99. So then, then, and, so then which guy had to leave in 97 or something? No, Trent, Trent Green left in uh because he his first year was 99 with the, uh, the Rams because they wanted to sign him, but they still had Brad Johnson. They were supposed to bring him back but couldn't get him back. Remember, Brad Johnson, okay. we, we, we had uh, the number one offense for a few weeks. 
with Brad Johnson. Brad Johnson, and it wasn't a passing offense. We had Stephen Davis pounding the rock. He went for fourteen hundred yards. Yeah, team record that year. And uh, 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 of course, you, you got a lot of agreement coming in. Thomas agrees with you. Ms. Rogers agrees with you. Hey, that's our that's our college basketball person. So, if you in the thing, if you want this young lady to talk college basketball with us, like yeah, like bring her up because I'm telling you, she knows college basketball, but she's been faking. What? Look, we got an open chair, hey, <laughs> and look, it's I about that it. time. Look, we going dancing. It's time to go dancing. It's a, we, look. She was on the phone with me one day. She started breaking down. I forgot who it was we were talking about. I was like, "Yo, what you doing, dog? I, I we need a we need a college basketball. See, there it is. <laughs> oh, look, okay. So we're gonna have to we're gonna have to roll out the free agent treatment. We, we might have to, have to though. We might have to take it to take it to um, Chick Fil A and let her get a twelve piece. Man, see now you make it seem like we cheat. We we, we wouldn't even take her, it to right? Chick Fil A. We'll we'll find it. We'll find a, a, a like we can go to Miss Ethel's up in Baltimore and get you some gumbo and you know uh, some Creole food or something. You know we we take the Winnebago up there. You know we may don't handle no jet, <laughs> but we got the Winnebago. I mean, you want to ride in style? I let you ride in the Grandma Key or something. But you know, I mean, ugh. but uh, Thomas says um, ownership is holding this thing up, and I agree. Um, Trent Green, absolutely. And well, Cousins was never going to be anything because they were too short sighted to see. Like they said that we wouldn't pay Cousins, but you paid them 72 million over three years, exactly. which would have been the deal that you would have gotten them with. But you don't have any foresight. That's why you're still sitting here. A, you end up with the name Commanders and not a good name because you didn't have foresight to say, OK, there's some pressure. Let's let's put in some names that we might think works and hold on to them. So that way. If push comes to shove, we're not reacting. We already have a plan in place. Then it's the same thing with when it comes to Cousins. You just had no foresight. And then for some reason, everybody in this fan base thought that you could sign Cousins for 10 or $12 million when the franchise tag was 16 or 17 mm-hmm. Like, why am I signing? Like, dog. And I think it was so bad because everybody be on the, was on the radio indignant about it. Like, oh, I only give them $12 million. Well, you're not signing them. Exactly. And if you tell me you don't want him because you got to, I, I believe you more when you say you don't want him, then, oh, well, I should sign him for 12 because he's not signing for 12. Your job can't be paying you, say that your your next raise is 25 and expect you to sign for 20 or $19 an hour, whatever. That's not happening. Exactly. I said give him, uh, if the franchise tag was 17, I said, I don't want to give him 20. I said 17.5 and incentive laden. That that that's the that was the thing. You you'd have gotten off cheap if you take so the first no year no, no. Of, I'm sorry seventeen five was the base, but you know incentive laden because it, the incentive that I would have laden in that contract he would hit all of that so his bonus would have been great. KG, you don't have to do an incentive label. All you do is the first two years. So the first two years of the franchise tag would have been, I think somewhere between thirty seven and forty million. So you make that his guarantees and give him a four year. Um, we're probably looking at 90 million with 40 in guarantees or something like that. I don't have the number structure in my head right now because I'm not doing I'm doing math on the fly, but you can make a deal work. And then because of course I've been saying this every time we talk contracts, every contract, if it's a four-year deal, 
it's a three-year contract. That last year is where we make where we either hide money or we 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 use that to either get rid of the guy with no debt, with no um cap penalty, or we restructure that and sign an extension, and that's where our money comes in to get us another contract where we get a cheap year and then we go on from there without going into the woods. I'm sorry. And yes, ma'am, I am talking. Uh uh, I will get with uh management and the secretaries and see what we can set up see what we can do we just gotta make sure the allergies ain't acting up because sometimes she lose a voice and yeah thomas we're gonna treat her right we we are we're gonna definitely treat her right what was that um, i missed there we go uh the problem is the owner is a fan and not a businessman he picked the wrong coaches and over the hill players yeah he that, see, that that's always been a problem that. i gotta push back on that because i think he was too reactionary I think if you if you look at the layout of like the sports media at the time with his coaching decisions, you know he went. His biggest problem was Schottenheimer. He couldn't bring Schottenheimer and he couldn't put Schottenheimer into the program and the process that he wanted. So then came the what? He didn't. Okay, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So 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 what happened was sports talk fans cried about the offense. Schottenheimer didn't start off well. He was 0-5. They ended up 8-8. Eight and eight. One of the biggest things that they wanted to do was he wanted to change the offense. He wanted a more dynamic offense. Which is called he wouldn't get rid of his guy. Um, oh, I can't think of his name now. But he wouldn't get rid of his OC at the time. And that was their place where they fought. They butted heads. He got rid of them. The next move he made, he went and got an offensive guy, Spurrier, which was an overreaction. Because Steve didn't didn't have any concepts. Steve was the old ball coach, and just because he had more talent than you, um, we were going to win ball games, and that was the it. And then after that, was that the Joe? Was that Joe two point Yep. So so he had to get back in the fans' good graces. He brought you Joe two point because he knew you would genuflect at at the altar of Joe. And then after Joe, we went. Jim Zorn. Zorn. Mm-hmm. And the only reason he went Zorn is because he tried to throw that test bag of Jim Fossil out there. And Fossil, that landed like a lead balloon. So he knew he couldn't go Fossil. And he, and the, 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 the well had dried up. So the only thing he could do was look at his offensive coordinator and say, you feel like being the head coach? That man wanted to quit and his wife wouldn't let him. Then after, after that, we went um, – who's after the – yeah, that was that, Shanahan. That, that's Shanahan. And the only problem Shanahan had was he hired a snake. He hired Bruce Allen, and Bruce Allen snaked his way through, whispered potions in um, Dan Snyder's ear, and turned him against Shanahan. And, of course, the whole RG3 thing and everything else was an issue. And, and that 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 was that segment of, of that, that era. And then we ended up with Gruden, and Gruden was stuck trying to resurrect RG3. And then they had cousins, and then they didn't want to pay cousins. And then it didn't turn out well, and then boom. And I'm, oh, I know I'm turning. Oh, oh, go ahead. What you want to say? Let's backtrack. You talk about backtrack. Marty. You talk about Marty. Let's start with Marty. Because he, he, he when he came in, I knew he was going to get rid of Norv. And I always said if they would have opened a pocketbook for Norv like they did everybody else, We'd have been a way better team. That's number one. Number but he two, didn't like Norv. No, he didn't. 
Number and two. And another problem is, see, and, and the thing that gets overlooked in that stretch is they were in the wild card race. And because without him being reactionary and being petulant, he fires North and has Robisky for those last couple games in that 2000 season. That team should have made the playoffs that year. Number two. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Number two. With Marty, he didn't understand that there's a gleam, man. There's a gleam. <laughs> I, I, I love Marty. That's why I love Marty. But he, uh, what did he say on uh, Marty's football life? I wanted to separate the head coach from the general manager. I didn't want him to be. Look, Marty's successful. Leave him alone. Yeah, he started off rocky. We went five and three later on in the season. Last uh, uh, eight games, five and three. But you know what's funny? I'm sorry, eight and three. I'm not mad at that. But the sports media acts as if they were, they had this thing where, oh, we can't let Marty go. No. You were on board from, they were on board for Marty being gone. I remember the sports junkies used to be on whatever, HFS or whatever, and they complained incessantly about, or incessantly about the offense the team, what Marty was doing, and, and, and they should get rid of Marty. And now they act like they got revisionist history when they talk about him. So that's 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 the funny part to me is so many people, when I sit back, and I, and I remember going home because that's when I was going to games. So I had to listen to my dad and them and everybody else as we were in the car or we were driving back from the game and the radio. And So, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You're good. Because uh, so you I'm the next point. Oh, I gotta get to these comments here. All right. Um, think of how McVeigh and uh, that's Lafleur and Kevin O'Connell were all here, and we go Ron. True, indeed. Well, McVeigh. All right. So, so. And you I'm are the worst. Okay. you're the worst. Um. So, so let's go back to that that last one with Thomas. Okay. So I always tell people, McVeigh wasn't there for. McVeigh was a year too early. And here's how I'm going to explain this. So McVeigh gets the interview to go to St. Louis or L.A. And then the day before his interview, I'll never forget this. I'm sitting there listening to Grant Paulson on the radio talk about the qualities of McVeigh and what makes McVeigh a head coach. And the second he finished making that statement, I said, McVeigh's never coming back from, from Los Angeles um, ever. If if Los Angeles doesn't lock him in a room and make sure every way, like like every door he turns to is just another part of the building that's out there at the Rams facility, they're stupid. This guy is too smart. And then I think if you ever pay attention, he they talk about his recall, and you'll hear him talk about, oh yeah, it was a third and two, and we was in such and such. Oh, yeah, the call was this and blah, 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 blah. Like, that's uncanny. That's just one of those things. So I knew he wasn't going to go anywhere. The Green Bay coach, LaFleur, mm-hmm. he was part of the Shanahan staff. So you knew you couldn't get that back because you had burned that bridge with the Shanahan's. So he was going to go ride with the Shanahan's, and, and he went up, ended up going with Kyle. No, he was with McVay and, and the Rams, and then he goes to Tennessee, and then from Tennessee he gets the – the um, Green Bay job. The Minnesota, Kevin O'Connell, Kevin O'Connell wanted out of town because he was here for the dysfunction that was Callahan. 
because I think there was rumors, and this is I'm a, just so like like if we have the capital allegedly, like this is the whole allegedly statement um segment. But there was talks of like Callahan going behind Gruden's back and showing Allen the game plan and like trying to make adjustments. And if Kevin O'Connell saw that, he wasn't staying here. And I think the other problem he had was that Ron came in and wanted to kind of have some people he knew on the staff. And I don't think O'Connell was going to do that. So he wouldn't give O'Connell um, the ability to build his own staff. Okay. So so that was the problem there. Because I knew, I mean, you know that he wanted to, um, you know that he wanted to bring Drew Terrell. And the only reason I say Terrell is because I've been watching I think it's the 2018 season with the Carolina Panthers all in. Mm-hmm. I think I went back. So, so when all season, I revisit all these kind of little shows, but I went and revisited that. And like Terrell was his guy. So he was coming here no matter what. And I think that's part of the reason you don't get O'Connell is because he wanted a couple of his guys to come here that he had been grooming. Hainsworth was down when he signed. Yeah. Him. And I, I think Hainsworth, no, Hainsworth actually was at his peak. The problem when he got here is we tried to change him into we was running the three four. Hold on, so they tried to make him hold on, hold on. He okay, came in under Zorn. He okay, came in under Zorn, and he was we were running the four three. You know that's when he pulled the uh, he 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 laid down against um Philly. Yeah, he laid down. Ground. He did nothing when Shanahan came in. Shanahan told him, "Hey, we're trying. We're going to switch to the four three. Are you okay?" playing a three technique yeah i'm good with it. i'm good i'm good okay because i want to know if you're okay because we're going to pay you this roster bonus if you're okay he accepted the roster bonus then he started bitching and all you had to do is instead of pressing up in the three technique all you have to do is sit there and wait for your chance you may not get a bunch of sacks but you make an impact because you sit there and you wait and then you react and you go you get after him. You couldn't do that. You pay me $100 million. I'll do whatever the hell you want me to do. I'm going to learn something different. I'm not going to be a one-trick pony. Because when he left here, he went to New England and got cut. Right. So, yeah, I, Hainsworth but he was wasn't also taking care of himself. He wasn't, he wasn't no. exactly in the best plan or anything. Oh, all, all he wanted to do was uh, his boat was docked down there um, somewhere in the, in the Potomac. All he wanted to do was go ride in his boat. Um, Thomas says Dion robbed us with a pistol. Yeah, he committed highway robbery without a gun. And Bruce Smith, Jason Taylor, and Terrell Pride. Terrell Pride was one of the worst signings. I'll never let Keefe from the block live this down. He made that one catch in practice, Terrell Pride. Oh, man, he's going to have 1,000 yards to do. He's not going to have 1,000 yards. He's not going to be a viable receiver. I would change this around. I think Bruce Smith got us with a pistol because all he wanted was the sack record. And he realized once he got here that it was all for him. His money was guaranteed. He was just trying to get him taken care of. He wasn't going to do anything else. Um, Jason Taylor just is another story of how this team panics when something happens and we don't have a plan. Cause I think we gave up a first or maybe two first for him to come over. Cause somebody got hurt in the preseason. Um, Cause then we also have the infamous um, sooner after that, we got the TJ Duckett trade where we gave up a second and third for him. Um, and I actually like him because this team doesn't have foresight. You just if you if you just keep Stephen Davis and don't trade him for Trump candidate, um, 
things are different in this world. Um, but no, Chung Candidate made a he made a, a name for himself being Marshall Falk's backup. Everybody thought he was the next big Marshall Falk thing. And I said that. I said, no, he is a bum. It's a flipping oh, bum. My guy. He's he's a University of Washington Husky. He was my guy at Washington. I ain't gonna lie to you. Who was um, that that hit him on the sideline and made him fumble his Matt first Bowen. practice? Matt Bowen. Popped him. I was like, yep. They, 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 is, it, is this your king? Is this your king? Now, Terrell Pryor is the reason that from that from this day forth, I no longer accept anybody's workout video. If you send me a workout video, it will get deleted automatically and on site. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what, what hoops you're jumping through. You you can be you can bench press four fat ladies and a midget on your back. I don't care. It's a workout video. It does nothing for me. It does me no good. If you ain't got pads on and you ain't playing a team with a different jersey on, I don't care. So you can you waste your time. Send me any video you want of some dude working out. I'm telling you right now, delete it. Mm. Um, and uh, we were still talking about the owner of the Washington Commanders. Oh yeah, he, but he made Ron a GM, and he never been a damn GM. Damn yourself for anything. That's that's <laughs> called the loser tax. That's called the loser tax. And so, yeah. so technically, yep. For, so technically, for, Ron wasn't. Ron is still is is coach centric. Let's let's stay in the, in the, in the, the lexicon that you want to use. So this is a coach centric place, and then he let Ron pick the GM and everything else. But it's still based off of Ron having overall say. And I think the second they hire somebody, I mean, not hire, but the second they get an owner, we're going to see some things change, and it's going to change quickly. Well, let me say this really, really quick. We were going through the coaching changes. If Danny Boy would have left Marty alone, I think we would have been all right. But But he couldn't help himself. No, he couldn't because you know what? You know one thing uh, Marty did that pissed him off? Serato. They Serato couldn't be in the building. He said, I don't want him in my fucking building. Get him the fuck out of here. Oh. And Vinny Serato, everybody talked about the, the the what was it, the 2010 draft? The Malcolm Kelly and Devin Thomas and uh, Fred Davis draft. Everybody talked about, oh, that was the best drive that we had. That, that was, was the worst drive. Like, that was not – we got nothing out of that draft. I never seen Malcolm Kelly play outside of me playing with him on Madden. I you never know, seen you, you know who was in that – so I can't remember if it was Malcolm Kelly or, or the pick after Devin Thomas, but there's a player that they should have drafted, and I screamed. I Like, if there was a table, I was standing on it. Is a, there was a, a defensive lineman, 6'8", out of University of Miami that played for the Hurricanes named Calais Campbell. We hadn't drafted a defensive lineman in the first two rounds since we drafted – what's the other kid from Miami? Um, uh, now, of course, his name escapes me. Um, but that was like a couple years before that. You had the opportunity to draft Calais Campbell, a certified great defensive tackle, and you chose to pick – Malcolm Kelly with a bad knee, and you chose to pick Devin Thomas, who I didn't know. I mean, and then you, you picked Fred Davis. Because they thought Fred Davis was going to be the next Vernon Davis. Still, no matter what you thought, like that that even, that whole process was terrible. Like you traded back, and I, so I think in that stretch was also a stretch where I think they had five drafts, because I'll never forget this magazine. This magazine I bought. It talked about five-year windows. 
And in this five-year window, I think the the Redskins had maybe 16 draft picks or 20 draft picks in that five-year window because they were trade they traded away a lot of those picks to get these rentals, whether it was Jason Taylor, TJ Duckett, and, and the lights. And um even Michael Rump was in part of that, I think. So so as you go through this, you there's like when I looked at it. The dra- you had nothing. You received nothing from it. I think it was like Cooley, um, Jansen, and maybe something else out of that. Like you didn't, you didn't gain anything out of those drafts that you had. And this, we're talking about a five-year window. You can't put a team together like that. No, you can't. And I and always was, go ahead. You know, that was the uh, 2008 draft that they called yeah. the best draft in, in, in recent years. I remember Kevin Sheen used to go on and on about this. Devin Thomas, Fred Davis, Malcolm Kelly all in the uh, second round. Chad Reinhart in the third. Justin Tryon in the fourth. We picked the fucking punter in the sixth. And Durant Brooks, who never played. Kareem Moore in the sixth. Colt Brennan in the sixth, who they could have cultivated to be a franchise quarterback. He could have no, been a game manager. No. no. Don't, don't, don't. No. Content. Rob okay. Jackson in the seventh, and Chris Horton with his sesamoid in the seventh. Chris Horton is out of everybody on here. Chris Horton, Rob Jackson, and Colt Brennan in the, in the, in the uh, preseason. That's it. That's it. That's all we got production out of. Fred Davis couldn't stay off the wacky tobacco along in a two play. Okay. I just, uh, okay. Let me finish this up. So you had Marty. He couldn't. He couldn't get out of his way with Marty. You go from Marty to Steve Spurrier. Steve Spurrier was like, "Okay, well, I want seven receivers on the on the field." Well, St- Steve, we can't put seven receivers on the field. You have to have blocking. You have to have offensive linemen. If I could sacrifice offensive linemen for a receiver, I'd do it. Get him the hell out of here. Then we go to Joe Gibbs, which is January two thousand four. One of the greatest weeks of my life. Joe Gibbs comes to the Redskins, Dario's born, and it snowed all in the same week. Greatest week of my life. And the only problem is Joe Gibbs ruined Clinton Porter's career. Yeah, because he tried to turn him into a power back. Yep. But, however. Here's the problem. All Washington had to do was stay. I think maybe they trade up a little bit. And you draft the perfect Joe Gibbs running back that year, which was Steven Jackson. All you had to do. You draft Steven Jackson out of Oregon State that year. Joe Gibbs doesn't have to do anything to get Portis. And instead of using that pick on Portis, I mean, um, trading champ and that second round pick, which ended up becoming Tatum Bell, maybe you still got to trade champ because champ has some things going on. Yeah, his wife home. wanted out. And I, yeah, I, I was like, how still, does she want out of a winter climate to go to a winter climate? Um, well, hmm, some things, some things happen. You know, DC happened. So, so, allegedly, 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 but still back on track. It's just, yeah, that, that whole thing. I think Gibbs made a wrong choice by, by making the move to get Portis. He should have gotten picks or other equity in that scenario because Portis is a great runner. He's a speed runner and you want to go 40 gut. You can't go 40 gut. With a guy that weighs 205 or 210, he's built on speed. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's one of those cases where I think Joe didn't adjust enough. And that's and that's only one of the only few times I can say that out loud 
um, as a fan because he he didn't he was too reluctant to open up his running game. He tried to it in places, but I don't know if they like taught it well enough to to get there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I agree with Thomas because I said this. I've been saying this for years. Marty was right for this team. Owen five, then go eight and eight. And he went to San Diego. He had them San Diego boys rolling, but he couldn't him and AJ Smith couldn't get along. So they bring in no that was the only problem. Yeah. Yeah. They, they bring in Nov and Nov kind of keeps him rolling, but that's Marty's team. Now I, and ah, it could have happened. It could have been good here. Um Thomas says yes, Malcolm Kelly and Devin Thomas was the worst pick. And Devin Thomas stayed out a whole year with a hamstring injury. Yep. And Malcolm Kelly stayed out with the knee injury. And Chris yep. Horton was a good safety until a neck injury. That's true. He was very, very certain. Yeah, that one year. Chris Horton, um, what college? UCLA. There you go. Yeah. I, I I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Joe should have stayed retired. The system changes by then. Yeah. The game had passed him by. The only I, problem that I had with Joe is Joe brought – he got he went to the, every retirement home and brought all the guys back and didn't yeah. bring any, any fresh ideas. You, you No, you know what that was? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not trying to be funny. Have you ever seen Uncle Drew? Yeah. That's what Joe yeah. Gibbs returning was. It was you like know, You know the movie I would have gone with? It's the joint where um, it's Morgan Freeman, uh, Robert De Niro, uh, Michael Douglas, and they go to Vegas. I can't think of the name of the movie. I know what you're talking about. That like that's what that was. Like we just got the gang. Even better. Um, BC. I, I see. I wasn't. That's why we said allegedly. I said See, allegedly. We we gonna have to find a way to get together because y'all gonna have to tell me something about this because di- I I did not know this. This Ooh. is news to me. We gonna have to I talk mean, about this after the show. Y'all gonna have allegedly. to find. I don't. I don't want to hear no allegedly. All this after the show, I want to hear all the tea. I'm, I'm look, just saying allegedly. I just want to hear all of it. I'm saying well, allegedly. I mean, was it Andre Blatch in the streets? Like he was down DC Live drinking uh uh, uh Armandale and shit. Like I'm Andre like Blatch this, skinny and had a pot belly. I, I'm just gonna say it's some things. I, I just heard some things. I got sources. You know what I'm saying? I got respect <laughs> we'll my sources. About, we'll talk about that uh, offline. Um, the Chantel laws hurt Gibbs personally. Yep, it sure enough did him and Greg Williams. It it hurt them personally. I think that's what. But see, you know what? That Gibbs retired with. That's why he why he was like, you know what? I'm gonna hang this up. See, and the problem I have with with this is I think, um, Gibbs and company. They were they were too staunch at times with the guys that had talent. So there was no way that LeVar Arrington should have been sitting behind uh what's my man, Lamar Marshall. And then my favorite, the guy that the only time you heard his name was during player introductions was Warwick Holdman. No way those two guys should have played more than LeVar Arrington at True. any point. And, and and that was my other problem that I had with Joe 2.0 is I thought Joe was too reluctant to allow his athletes to be athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, then, and then the fact that Sean Taylor doesn't play or doesn't start the first five or six games of his his rookie season, we didn't see the Hall of Fame game. You didn't see the, the fact that he went through it around and got an interception for a touchdown, but we're going to try to make him fit. We're going to play Pearson Prelude over, over Sean? No. And I, I think the, the biggest mistake that Gibbs 2.0 was trying to – he tried to establish 
Gibbs, he tried to establish something that he didn't need to establish. He needed to let his athletes be athletes. Because when you got a freak athlete like him, and then you got the um you got the human um the human muscle ball, Laurent Landry and company. I mean, things things should just happen. I've never seen a man tackle somebody after 18 yard loss and tap his chest and point to the sky, but yeah. It's called the Laurent Landry. And we had the uh Area 51. I, I still say that was next to Danny Copeland and Brad Edwards. Nah. I think that was the best safety tandem that we had. I'm nope. sorry. Nope. Give me Ken Houston and whoever he was with. I'll take that every day over that. See, see, see. Be, you can't even name the other guy. It doesn't matter. It's Ken Houston. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'll give you that. But, but but the other part of the problem was with Area 51 is you went – your your corners was Mike Rump. Your corner was the kid they, they stole from the Indianapolis Colts. They couldn't cover foot. No. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's why that's why that was their biggest problem. problem. The whole backside from sideline to sideline. Right. That was their biggest problem was the corners and, and safeties. I mean, the corners stunk, and the safeties were great. And then your pass rush was I. Yeah. And the uh, the movie you were talking about, the old guys. The old guys. Thank you, sir. And um, you know what's crazy? I sit and I think about it. LeVar Arrington played out of, his, out of position his, almost his whole entire career. The, I always thought that was the, uh, the 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 part about him. He played out of position his whole entire career. LeVar Arrington, I'm telling you, oh, this is how I say it. Micah Parsons is having the career that LeVar Arrington should have had. I agree. You don't give that dude a title. You just let him play you, anyway. Let me tell you, let me tell you all right, here's the, pe- the best example of it. There's a little movie. I think it came out in 93, maybe 94. No, probably 94, 95. There's a linebacker that wore the number, number 56. His name was Alvin Mack. <laughs> that he was 93. Said, when when he, he saw the, the tape, he was like, what do you do? He said, kill them all and let the paramedics sort them out. That's LeVar Arrington. That should have been LeVar Arrington's motive. Because you kill them all, let the paramedics sort them out. Oh, my God. Hey, you punk motherfucker. You don't want to kill right. my brother. My mama. <laughs> Oh, you can't look at me now, huh? Man, yes, the sir. Is so hyped up. Oh, Whew. the program. I love that movie. Uh, Thomas say Alvin Walton, Alvin Walton, and Raphael Cherry no. was the best safety until Chantel and Ryan Clark. No, no, no. Because hmm. Cherry's another one of those. Mm-mm. Cherry had one year. If anything, he, if he said Todd Bowles and Alvin Walton, I'd give him a leg to stand on. <laughs> but it's 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 you said it best. It's Copeland Edwards, Taylor Clark, or Taylor, yeah, Taylor Clark, and that's another mistake they made by not getting Clark back. Mm-hmm. But again, that's this team being reactionary and not progressive. Well, let's jump into this last segment and wrap it up real quick. All right, let's wrap um, it up. D. Last segment. Well, this segment of Lamar Jackson and collusion is brought to you by. His him and his mom and them sports agency <laughs> fucking up contracts for the last two years. And um, don't forget to uh hit up Helen Hunt Motors. It's only one location, so it's near you. You need a good car, reliable transportation, go to Helen Hunt for it. All right. Um, <laughs> last but not least, uh 
Eric Bieniemy has his staff set. Um, offense coordinator Eric Bieniemy, um, quarterbacks coach Tavita uh, Tavita Pritchard, Luke Del Rio, assistant quarterbacks coach and offensive quality control. Randy Jordan is the running backs coach. Assistant running back coach coming back is Jennifer King. I'm happy about that. Uh, Bobby Ingram has signed as the wide receivers coach. Juan Castillo is the tight ends coach. Assistant tight ends coach is Todd Storm. O-line coach, John Matsko. Um, assistant offensive line, Travell Wharton. Senior offensive advisor, game management is Ken Zampezi. Offensive assistant, Tyree Reed Jr. Offensive quality control, Shane Tube. And I think that rounds out the offense. That's a large staff. That's we talked about Joe Gibbs. That's a Joe Gibbs large staff. I like I like see 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 the beauty of coaching and this whole thing with the NFL is you can take care of your guys. So Travell Wharton, an old guard in Carolina. Um I actually I'm a, I'm gonna get off of that because I don't want to go with the commanders thing. I'm gonna go with the theme that I initially started with. Bobby Ingram. I, I, I like Bobby Ingram from two standpoints. One, because I think he was a guy that he had to be a technician. He, he didn't have – he had – he was quicker than fast. And I love that moniker, but he's quick. He's a guy that's quicker than fast. And I believe that um, when it comes to the Terrys, the Dotsons, um, the Samuels, and, and the other guys, that he will make them – hone in on the craft of their ability to run a route. The other part I like about the Bobby Ingram thing is maybe he can get um, fair catch Dax to actually return punts because he was a great punt returner in Penn State and even better in Seattle. So maybe he can give some advice. You know, so maybe we don't always have to tap into the Brian Mitchell tree and we can go to um, Bobby Ingram on staff and get him to actually teach that how to like run forward on punt returns. So that's the other reason I like the hire. Well, I'm 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 loving the staff, but it all it don't mean a thing until them live bullets are flying come uh September. Don't mean a thing. We can have the, the biggest and brightest staff, but it means nothing if we don't produce and we don't have at the least a top 10 offense. Here come baby doc. Can't All be a man who is. Only you start saying is we need a hero. Yeah, Go ahead. I mean, we, we actually do. The offense needs a hero. You know, you, you, you can't allow teams to come in and, and push you around. You can't allow them to sit at your table and eat your dinner and, and, and goose your wife and burp in your face. This cannot happen. Right, so, so let me ask this question. How much of a draft guy are you? Uh, pretty big when there's a when it's a deep talent pool. But I know there's talent that's unseen and untapped. Okay, so we're gonna go without names. Your ideal first three picks. So we're talking one at sixteen. Um, whatever the second round pick, and that's three because of today the comp- the compensatory pick they get for Sheriff is the 97th pick in the third round, which is their highest compensatory pick that they've ever received. Mm-hmm. And then they also received a sixth for Tim Settle, which actually sounds like a decent trade. If you like, if you took the blinders off and said, oh, we traded Tim Settle for a conditional 
six-round pick for the next year, a lot of people will probably take that in hindsight or in, 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 just in any circumstance. You say, oh, I'm going to trade them for a six-pick the next year. Yeah, you can't get mad at that because you got so much depth. You got so much in front of them because you drafted for Darian and you have pain and what you call it. You can you can see getting rid of settle for mm-hmm. a six round. Uh, so so the question would be if I had if you had to tell me position only you ain't gotta give me a name one two three how do you how do you see yourself going those positions because I've done. I'm on mock draft like 2025. So, well, uh, with that 16th pick, I think I would go uh, fullback, and that second round pick, I would go. (laughs) 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 No, no, no. Uh, That first round pick, if available, if he's there, I would go corner. Who's he? Joey Porter Jr. He's gonna be there. So I would. I, I don't would, like he. I don't like he as much as everybody else. But I get it. Okay, <laughs> that's if he's there. I would. I would go. Nah, he's gonna be there. He's gonna be there. I, I would don't go. Worry about that. Uh, that second round pick. I think I try to find me the best O lineman and, and that's on the board. Best O line. Okay. Uh that third round pick. Linebacker. Just because I I, I need depth. I need I, I but I love late round picks. I love third round and on picks because those guys are hungry. You you know, you find a lot of gems, and it's a lot of guys that are hungry and got something to prove. And a term that I don't like to use is those guys play with chips on their shoulders i don't like to use that term i'll tell you about that later but i don't like to use that term because of some things and i'll tell you about that off it but um yeah i think that's where i would go but we don't need no d lineman we need secondary and linebacker help we need o-line depth we need we need help at the o-line position as much as possible so, so for right now, I'm if it's or no, I'm not gonna say that because I don't think he's gonna be there. So the only so the top two corners I have is Christian Gonzalez and Devin Witherspoon, the kid from Illinois. He didn't run at the combine because of hamstring, but his physicality, oh my gosh! So if I have to stay put in this draft with all of my picks, so I stay at sixteen. I think, I think I still draft a corner, and maybe that ends up ends up being Joey Porter, Jr. And I just have to try to make sure he's not too handsy. Um, second round pick, if the gods smile on me, um, John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota, the center is there. But and if he's not there, maybe Alex Marr from um, South Dakota State. Where did um no where did um. Carson Wentz go. That was North Dakota, right? North Dakota. Yeah, so so North Dakota is a kid that played all three line positions in the, at the combine. I would draft him um, if I can't get John Michael Smith. And then in the third round, 
the kid I want is the Tennessee right tackle um, because he's a true right tackle and he has a skill set. And I think if you put him at right tackle, you put Cosme at guard, you go with Smiths at either center or guard. I would put him at center and put Ruye at guard and then um, go with, I guess you got Leno as your left tackle um, for now. And, and then you got, um, what's the guy that's been our swing tackle on uh, the last two years? He played right tackle. Uh, Lucas. Nicholas Lucas. Yes. So he becomes a swing. And then you, you, you bring back Larson. So now you have Larson, Ruye, and um, Smiths as your three centers. Because suppose this, this team goes through centers um, like the toilet tissue. So that would be my, my, my scenario there. And that's why I think I think your your man Wes Weissen becomes expendable because of the numbers game, not because of the talent. What about because Cody I think Bob? I think you stick with Chris Paul. I think you stick Paul as your your primary backup guard because I think he's shown you enough, and hopefully the leap he takes in year two is something. If somebody falters, he can just step right in and take their job. I think that's where you have the hope. Yeah, that's why I, I, I would love to have yes. a center playing yeah, like that. He is. He's a, he's a he, dog. He played every spot on the line um, in every drill. I loved him. Uh, and I think you can you can do one or two things with him. You can play him at guard or you can play him at center. You can play him at tackle. But I think if you play him at tackle, you got to play him at right, right tackle. Yeah, He's not a left tackle. And I think part of that is just from an arm distance thing, arm thing, length thing. And then also just I think he looked too natural to me at guard for me to play him anywhere else. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. You said you had a Chicago Bull question real quick. You had a commentary so, on Chicago Bulls. So so the story out of Chicago is Lonzo Ball is they're trying to figure out if he's going for a third surgery or not to try to correct this knee issue. He hasn't been able to jump or run without pain. So the question for you is, if you're Chicago management, are you um, pushing for another surgery or are you still trying to get him to rehab this knee injury? Uh, If it's a matter of surgery as management, the first person I'm calling is Dr. James Andrews. That's the first person I'm calling, orthopedic surgeon to the stars. And I'm letting him tell me what what we do. And then I will sit down. And ultimately, I can't push for, as a management, I can't push for the surgery. I have to know, hey, Lonzo, if you want to do this, you you, you know, it's up to you. But if you don't, you got to rehab. It's going to be intense. I'm going to do everything I can to support him in a rehab or the surgery, whatever he chooses. But I can't push for it. I want him back nice and strong. I don't want to cut him. None of that. I don't. Everybody, oh, we got to get rid of him. We need the money. <laughs> Shouldn't have gave Zach Levine the money you gave him. We gave him money for nothing. I was pissed when we signed him. I, you know, I, I haven't really been overall happy with him because I, I lost Jimmy Butler. As a Bulls fan, it's only three times as a Bulls fan that I've ever cried. Oh, when boy. they broke up the championship team out of the 98 when they renounced Jordan's rights, uh, traded away Scotty, let Dennis go. When they broke that up, I cried. Draft day, when they traded Derrick Rose. 
I stood in the middle of the floor and I cried. Then uh, exactly a year later, exactly, they traded away Jimmy Butler and I cried. I stood in the floor and I boo-hoo cried. I laid on the bed and cried because I was like, yo, y'all breaking up something that we we trying to build here and you, you trade away our best player. I was hurt. I'm not trying to go through that again. That's why, I mean, Levine came at a, at a time where I felt we were trying to get ourselves together. And I'm not, a, I'm not, a, you know, afraid to admit, oh man, I cried. I, I live and die with this team. And I have since I was eight years old. I'm 41. It's going to be like that. I mean, the story's going to come out before the end of the week, because of course I tell it every year around, the, around the NCAA tournament, the 93 championship game. I cried. This guy, it still hurts. Hey, I, I, I we appreciate your trail of tears, man. It's okay, but no, nah, I'm not. Rushing shout out, back. shout out to Dolores Carroll. Yep. Shout out to Dolores Carroll. Yeah. Bring uh, you know you know we got a we got a standing bet. I told her if Dallas ever wins anything of significance, and I can get a T-shirt, she's getting one. Someone don't bring that shit in my house. Oh, baby, it's already in there. Look, it's gonna be hanging in your closet. I'm gonna get about several of them. Every time you throw one away, it's gonna be another one hanging. I'm just saying, she did a thing that any good mother would do. She she went and got her child something of a championship quality, championship team. You know, hey, that hurt. Like punching somebody in the gut in the dark, man. That hurt. That was beautiful. That was not. I lived and I literally lived and died with the Fab Five. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 ball head, the long black socks, the black shoes, the baggy shorts, all of that. Only thing I don't do now is the ball head. I still wear black socks most of the time. Well, not as much as I used to, but I still wear black socks. I still wear black shoes. I still wear baggy shorts. I don't uh, dudes coming in the gym with 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 you know half thigh shorts. Nah, man, my shorts got to come down below my knees, man. Like I wear baggy shorts because of the fan fight. Just what I, I do. I mean, and again, like I, I tell people, there's a there's a thirty for thirty sitting out there. Um, they kind of started it a little bit when they talk about Hoya paranoia, but there's a there's a cultural or maybe a hip hop culture thirty for thirty. Where we actually get into um, Georgetown Hoyer basketball, you get into Allen Iverson. I mean, I'm sorry, you get into the Fab Five, you get into Allen Iverson, um, where you talk about their impact that goes beyond um, the basketball court and how they actually affected the dress of hip hop in that time and in that era and in that in that situation, because they were more influential on the hip, I mean, it's them and Hennessy. It's them, Hennessy, and like those are the the things that have grown um, by leaps and bounds because of hip hop. Don't forget about Air Force Ones. Air, Air Force Ones, yeah, exactly. But, but you know, the only thing Nelly did, and he, he he said, you know, Air Force Ones and Nike, they, they made a lot of money off him. He got no residuals. Yeah, only thing you did was make on Air Force Ones more expensive. I used to go get a low pair yep. Air Force Ones for $42. Now they're 110 yep. Like, dude, that's well, a great summer shoe. So, so I, I've talked about this before, but back in the day, you could get a um, 
you could get a jersey customized. Man, I ain't spent over 60, 70 bucks. I get whatever whatever team jersey I want. I got I got the Washington Redskins. I got a Tennessee Titans jersey. I got a um St. Louis Rams jersey. Uh, if I thought the jersey was sick, yeah, I was getting it. And the only there's only one jersey that I will never get, but I always want it. It's it's the red New York Giants um third jersey. Man, that thing's a dog, but I will never wear it. But there's one that I might get soon, and it's that Patriots red, the the Steve the Steve Grogan slash Urban mm-hmm. Fryer, Mosey Tatupu, John Stevens, um, and Andre Tippett, that mm-hmm. whole squad. The uh the the the, the old um no the, with the, the Patriots snapping the ball, yeah. John Hanna and company, yes sir. Yeah. See now, me in the closet right now. I got a Sean Taylor jersey. Throwback 1933 Sean Taylor jersey, uh, 1982 John Riggins, and a 1993 Warren Moon. Those are my three. And after I that, you. I used to have a, a Ray Lewis, and uh, I had a, a black Ray Lewis jersey. The first year they bought all of them black jerseys, had a black Ray Lewis jersey. I don't know. I moved around so much. I don't know what happened to that. Um, of course, I had a Daryl Green jersey. But I, I had different ones, man, different ones. But, hey, man, we got to get up out of here because we're going to keep going and we can go all night. Um, <laughs> Leroy say uh, Craig James. Yeah. Yeah. It is. So we thank everybody for joining us tonight. We didn't – I can't even say we didn't do any overtime. We got into such good conversation. Thank you, everybody, that commented tonight, that showed up, man. Appreciate it. Uh come back again uh saturday night we talking wrestling hopefully if we don't talk wrestling we're gonna talk something you know we gotta fill in for the wrestlemaniacs we're gonna do it but uh we'll be back saturday then we'll be back again on sunday because uh, if i'm not mistaken sunday is selection sunday isn't it yeah but we're going on 11 so we, yeah we're we doing yeah we, so we can't really do so we're doing we're doing Sunday morning, 11. And I think we're doing selection Monday at... Yeah, at 7.38. All right, there we go. So that way we can fill out our brackets. We're going to do one half on Monday and then another half on uh on uh, Tuesday. So we're going to... And we're going to shoot out the link. Yeah. Um, we'll post the link in the, in the, um, on the bottom of the screen on Monday and Tuesday where you can jump in with the sideline junkies and you can see how your picks go with our picks. For the March Madness, so Terry Rogers, since you don't want to come on the show, at least you can do um, a bracket with us. <laughs> look, we so look, yeah, she ain't got to worry about it. We got the whole PR campaign. I didn't already send out the text message. We already got the PR campaign working up. And thank you, it is. thank you, thank you, thank y'all. I like the the the, the, hey. the love, man. I appreciate Yo, Lee, it. Lee Ice is my guy. Yo, I gotta give him a special shout out because he got this started for me. Um, we did our show back um all in sports and he done took it to a whole different level. You know, my man was at Vegas doing post Super Bowl um interviews and doing his thing. So yeah, like honestly, without that that little tag team back then, like I wouldn't be in this circuit in this market, um, trying to just, you know, make it move. So appreciate you, brother. You know what I'm saying? Always one love, you and Vogue. Um, and yeah, we're gonna get it together, man. Make it do what it do, baby. 
Yeah, she gonna get you. Here we go. Look, look. She gonna right, get you, not me. She gonna get you. Right, 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 right. I so got you. I'm, I'm absolved. I'm good. Thank y'all for joining us, and uh, we appreciate the love. Please just keep coming back. Keep the conversation going. And if you're not already a part of the Sideline Junkies 24/7 group, please, please, please join us. Jump in the conversation there. Start some conversations. Let's get it going. But and until if you ain't part of the YouTube, make sure you <laughs> hit the click, click the subscribe button and jump on it with YouTube so that way you get your notifications there if you don't get them through Facebook. That's true. And then uh, we on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, wherever you stream a podcast at, we there. I, I promise you that. Yeah. We are there. And, oh, man, this drinks. Uh, oh, yeah, it's time for this Merlin game. You are absolutely right. We got to go. Cause it's All already right. nine forty one, so until uh, Saturday, this thing is just so glitchy today. Until Saturday, can't say we don't do no overtime, but we are out of here. <laughs>